Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our Big Island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha, good morning, welcome to Island Conversations. Remember that we are here on Sundays on the radio on the Big Island of Hawaii on KWXX and on B93B97. And the interviews rebroadcast the following Friday on KPUA 670 AM in Hilo. And you may always listen to Island Conversation interviews as podcasts online at kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com or wherever you get podcasts. Back in 2007, I recorded a terrific interview with Linda Elliott, who at the time was in the planning stages of what is now the Hawaii Wildlife Center, located at the very north part of our island in Kapa'au. I've had the pleasure of talking with her from time to time over the years as the Hawaii Wildlife Center became a reality, and today I am delighted to not just be talking with Linda Elliott, but to be doing so at the Hawaii Wildlife Center in Kapa'au. Aloha, Linda. Aloha, Sherry. Glad to have you here at the Hawaii Wildlife Center and and not in your studio, so you got to see it firsthand. It's really pretty fascinating, and it kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things that I really want to know more about that I think the listeners would like. But I want to make sure people know that you're not just the director of the Hawaii Wildlife Center. You have your Bachelor of Science in Wildlife Biology. You have more than 15 years as a wildlife rehabilitator, a certified oiled wildlife responder, an international wildlife responder. You have a lot of qualifications to be caring for wild birds, most especially, and I could go on and on about it, all the different things that you've done. But why don't you tell us what exactly is the Hawaii Wildlife Center? The Hawaii Wildlife Center is the only native Hawaiian bird and bat wildlife hospital for the state of Hawaii. So it's a response center for sick and injured native wildlife. It's also an emergency response center for large events like oil spills. It's also an area where we can provide research on reversing the extinction trends in our native species. Our goal is to enhance the biodiversity of Hawaii, protect it, make sure it's here for future generations. And in addition, we get an opportunity to share our work through our public outreach, our Science and Discovery Center, and uh, meetings with our staff and our programs off-site as well. So it's all about and for Native Hawaiian wildlife, and we feel the niche of what to do when you find one that's sick and injured, or there's an event that needs a lot of hands-on with birds that are going to need care and husbandry work. Since you actually opened for business, which I believe was in 2012, how many wild birds or bats have you cared for? Just under 700 have come through our doors. Over 41 species out of 70 species and subspecies have come through our door for care. And today, currently, we have 22 patients in care. And that includes one small female hoary bat, the opeopea, and a lot of seabirds, some shorebirds, uh, and some waterbirds. So let's start with the bat. For example, how did this little bat come to you? What was the problem and how did she end up here at the Hawaii Wildlife Center? So this little girl came to us, gosh, over 120 days ago and she was found separated from her mom 
in Hilo and picked up by a general public who got in touch with the bat researcher who happens to live on the east side. And she knew, knows us and she brought it over to us for care. She's uh, taken samples from that and another bat we had, banded them so that we can hopefully find out how they do in the future. And we have to care for her until she's old enough to feed herself. And so she's got a few more weeks at minimum with us before she's able to do that. She's pretty young still. So how exactly are you caring for this hoary bat? Give us an example of what you do when somebody comes in. For bats especially, you know, they're a nocturnal species, so that makes it a little more challenging. She doesn't want to eat during the day because she's sleeping. So this also requires that our wildlife staff feed her in the middle of the night. So they'll take her home and bring her back during the day, but she's really anxious to eat at night. And so they're catching bugs. We're all catching bugs outside our house. But we also raise mealworms and have freeze-dried mealworms for her too. But she's a good eater, but she likes her bugs. So in general, how does a bird end up here at the Hawaii Wildlife Center? Who's finding them? How do they get here? Sort of give us the routine that goes on to get a patient here. Because as we walked through, I mean, I saw several birds that were in various stages of needing care. And I'm just curious about how did they get here? Okay, that's really the great thing is we get hundreds and hundreds of calls every year from people who find birds in need. And we walk them through what's best to do. And if it's native, then that comes to us for care. If it's a wild non-native bird and it just needs to be reunited with its family, we'll talk them through that. But if it's a native bird, no matter what island it comes from, we get our birds from all the islands. We will work with them to get them stabilized and then on a flight. And we rely a lot on the public and volunteers to do this major logistics to move birds around throughout the state. You mentioned only native birds. So why are you at Hawaii Wildlife Center only dealing with native birds? For us at Hawaii Wildlife Center, our resources are limited and we've got over 70 species to dedicate our services to. So that's where our mission is in, in being part of the conservation solution and not part of the problem. In addition, the state of Hawaii lists majority of the introduced species as injurious, which forbids us from treating and releasing them back into the wild. Now that's kind of interesting. So why don't you walk us through what are native birds? How would I know if I have one or see one? There are options. You can call us. You can send us a picture to our bird help uh, email address, or you can pick up a bird book and look it up. But native species are pretty unique to Hawaii, and they may not be what's in your backyard. So Minas came from India originally, uh, cattle egrets are from Asia and Africa area. Hunting birds were also introduced, so those would not be native birds. So native birds for us are two types of bird of prey, the Hawaiian hawk and the Hawaiian owl, Io pueo, are water birds like the nene and uh, the Hawaiian stilt and the Hawaiian coot. And then we've got shorebirds, all those migratories that come here every year, like the colea, the Pacific Golden Plover, eight months of the year is here in Hawaii, and they're dependent on Hawaii as part of their habitat. Seabirds, we've got over 21 different species of seabirds in Hawaii. So we've got a huge diversity, but we also have a lot of introduced species too, so it's easy to get it confused. Well, for example, when we walk through, there's a snow goose here. Is a snow goose a native bird? It is. It got here on its own. It wasn't brought by humans. It's a rare migratory for us, and it would leave on its own too. So yeah, that qualifies as indigenous. 
That's interesting to me because clearly a snow goose by most people's definition, I mean, I think it's from Canada maybe. Tell us what the definition is then of a native bird because I wouldn't have put a snow goose in that category. That's actually a really good point. Birds have wings and they fly huge distances and country lines, state lines don't mean anything to them. And so traveling across 3,500 miles of ocean to go somewhere is their abilities. So it makes them world bigger travelers, but that's their habitat. And we just happen to be a stop off for them in their travels. And so that's, that makes them indigenous. Indigenous means they get here on their own power, that humans don't interfere. Endemic means that they're only found in one location. So in Hawaii, endemic species are only found in Hawaii and nowhere else in the world. Whereas indigenous can come and go across country lines but they're all native because they're here on their own. Introduced species are species that humans intentionally brought over or accidentally brought over. So mosquitoes are introduced. Uh, you know, so we've got good introductions and bad introductions, but those introductions do compete and can cause problems for our native wildlife. So if we're protecting the world's biodiversity, we want to protect what is indigenous and endemic to an area so that it persists in the future. I remember back around 2007 when I was getting ready to talk with you the first time, Pete Hendricks, who's very active, who was very active in community events all around the island, but certainly in North Hawaii, he talked about how important it was to establish this center. So talk about why it's in Kapa'au and why we really needed something like this. I mean, it would seem like this would be something that would exist on Oahu, but apparently does not. So give us more of an understanding of why this is important. That gets asked quite a bit. And, and why, why here in Kapa'au? I moved over from Oahu in 88, and I moved over for the reason of Hawaii Island has the largest diversity of native habitat remaining and biodiversity remaining in the state. So this is a wonderland of what Hawaii is and should be. And so being here was part of that. And so having the center here makes sense in that. And also the community in North Kohala welcomed it. The donation by Shirley Kohala, the use of this two acres of land, after we looked for 10 years throughout the state for a location came up, it was a perfect fit. It has everything we need and nothing we don't need. When you think of Oahu, what do you think of? Traffic jams trying to move around Oahu, getting birds from one end to the other, takes longer than it does to go here on that big island that is much, much larger. But it is traffic. And also, you can't find a property this size available, and also without all the human pollution, you know, and sound, lighting, all of that. So we don't need that for wildlife rehabilitation. What we need is a natural area that has the resources from mountains to the sea for habitats and release sites. And no matter where we put it, we would have to transport between islands. So why not put it in the best place? And that is this island. And, and you're finding that others have found that out too. You've got the Marine Mammal Center on the coastline for the same reason. You know, they'll get asked the same question, but it's, it is the resource of having land in, in unpolluted areas where humans are not making as big of an impact. Well, and that's really true. 
you know, I drove up here and you're actually a little bit north of Kapa'au town and you're down sort of a little country road. You are not on the beaten path and you're really isolated back here. So I completely understand what you're talking about. One thing I want to say is the isolation is great, but in addition, we also have great accessibility. So yesterday we had eight patients flown to us in our local airport here, the state airport called Upolu. And so 10 minutes away and coming to the center. So instead of driving for an hour and a half in traffic, you know, in Honolulu, it was 10 minutes away. So we have, we have access to the airport here, the airport in Kona, the airport in Waimea. And volunteers can get here easily. It's a, you know, it's a straight shot. So we have accessibility when we need it but we don't have a lot of extra things we don't need. So the eight patients who arrived, who were they or what were they and how did they get here? Okay, that was an interesting flight too. We had five wedge-tail shearwaters. So this is what we call down seabird season. They're coming into land, they're, they're feeding their chicks and their chicks are gonna fledge for the first time all between now and in early December with the peak coming up around the new moon of, of November 26th. So we're starting to get more and more down seabirds. So these five wedge-tailed shearwaters were down because they got confused by the light pollution. They ran into a, a structure, a building, a light, a power line, and they, they're injured. And now they need care before we can get them back out. In addition, there were two storm petrels, leeches storm petrels, that got confused by the lighting on a cruise ship going at night between islands and they crashed into the cruise ship and were injured and are getting treated and hopefully released back out. We also had a Pacific Golden Plover, a Colea, coming back for eight months to be here, all the way from Alaska, you know, a three-day flight that's over 3,000 miles, and only to get attacked by a, a loose cat. And so that one's got some bad cat injuries, but we're hoping for a good prognosis on that one. We also had a black crowned night heron come from Oahu, and that one had a fishing hook entanglement. So the hook had, it had hooked on its leg and then hobbled its, it, the other leg. And so we're gonna treat that one and get it back out. And so that was another issue where humans have had an impact on these birds. So all of those came in because of human impact yesterday. And a brief interruption to let you know that I recorded this interview with Linda Elliott at the Hawaii Wildlife Center in Kapa'au at the very north part of our island last October, hence the reference to events happening in November and December. This is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. And if you're interested in native birds, get more information at hawaiiwildlifecenter.org. Also, coming up October 15 through 19, 2020, it's the Hawaii Island Festival of Birds, and hopefully by then the coronavirus concern will have died down. In fact, the coronavirus, we hope, will have died down. The Hawaii Island Festival of Birds includes field trips on land and sea, talks, tours of the island, a visit to the Hawaii Wildlife Center, as well as an opportunity to do community service at the Hawaii Wildlife Center. The talks are free and paid. There are breakfasts, there are photo walks, there's a bird fair. The Hawaii Island Festival of Birds comes up October 15 through 19, 2020. 
You may get more information at birdfesthawaii.org, birdfesthawaii.org. And note that one of the beneficiaries of the proceeds of the Hawaii Island Festival of Birds is the Hawaii Wildlife Center in Kapa'au. Next week, we're going to air an interview with Jay Saplan, who is from Hilo. He's a professor of music. He conducts choral music. He has done extensive study on the music of Queen Liliuokalani, and that's what we'll talk about. And in upcoming weeks, I will be airing interviews about the United States Census, because April 1st is Census Day. We'll also be airing an interview about the upcoming election, which is going to be all voting by mail this year. We'll talk about it and learn more about it. Before we go back to Linda Elliott of the Hawaii Wildlife Center, let's hear from our terrific sponsor, KTA Superstores. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. And now back to learning more about the Hawaii Wildlife Center in Kapa'au at the north part of our island with director Linda Elliott. So walk us through. You get a patient in, and I see you have a vehicle in the back that is Hawaii Wildlife Center. I'll call it an ambulance, but it's just you transport sometimes birds from the Upolo Airport. So where do they come into this facility? What's their first stop? And then take us through their journey through your facility a little bit. When we um, pick up a bird, we have a rescue vehicle that has large space in it. It's a Transit Connect. It's a, it's a great vehicle. Um, we can put kennels in there. We've got all our supplies in there. We can also have power to run heating pads if we need to give them supportive care. We keep it quiet and their transit time is great because it's climate controlled and there's no sound and no extra activity and so they're calm throughout that. Once we get here we take them through a process of intake where they come in. The Wildlife medical staff or wildlife hospital staff do a full evaluation, enter into electronic database, all the information on where it came from, what's its injury, and uh, what our treatments are going to start out as. And then moving from there, if it needs to go into intensive care where it's getting extra oxygen, extra heat, and then medications and fluid therapy and nutritional support. And then hopefully moving into the holding room, which is just supportive care, giving them additional time to build up their strength. If they have contaminants on them, like food, oil, blood, then we need to get their feathers completely clean. There's a wash and rinse room that's a decon room for them that's specialized for that. Uh, And then moving them through to a drying room and then out to the final area, which is the recovery yard. And that is where they get conditioned for the final release, knowing that they are strong enough to fly, they're strong enough to feed themselves. And so we have large aviaries and large pools out there to do that final conditioning. And then we take them for release. And if they're something like a seabird that travels thousands of miles or hundreds of miles, all we have to do is point them out to sea and they do the rest. If they are a bird of prey like a eel or a pueo, or even a water bird like a nene, they need to go back to their original territory. And so we'll get them back within, you know, miles, a couple miles or a couple feet of where they were found so that they can rejoin their colony or grouping there or their territory that they had. So that's the exciting day. That's what we work so hard for. And the rewards are to see it go away. 
what we don't get is when people who work with domestic animals, you get the tail wag or the lick or the purr. These guys are frightened the whole time they're in care usually, and we're spending all of our time minimizing that stress. So we keep them from having a lot of visual barriers so that they can't see us moving around. We do sound systems with white noise or colony noises in the background to calm them down, and then we move them through quickly. And when they fly off, they don't look back at us. They're just, they're heading out and they're glad to be gone. I always say it's kind of like an alien abduction. You don't know why you're there, and you're really glad when you get to go. <laughs> Not that I've had one, but it's, it's what you see on TV and in, in the movies. So that's about the only way I can help people get into the mind of a wild animal being held in captivity. When we were walking through, we saw an eel, I believe, that you said may be not capable of returning to the wild. Tell us about that animal. So that eel, a young male, came from Kona, and it had a severe eye injury that's causing permanent damage to the retina and to the cornea. Had it evaluated, and it can't be treated or, or restored. It also had a wing injury that is permanent, too. It has small flights, but not full flights. So it would never be able to catch its own food. And so our job now is to work with what its options are. We have placed them before in permitted places like the Honolulu Zoo. There's a female there with another male that we that's doing fabulously. And this one could become our education ambassador for the Hawaii Wildlife Center. And we're also in talks with the Alala program, and it might become a help over there to help the uh, Alala recognize a predator. So it may do dual duty, and so we're we're excited about the potential for this bird because it's a beautiful young male, and he's the perfect candidate for that. So we'll be working with the wildlife agencies to move that process through. What if you get an animal, a bird that is too severely injured to return to the wild, or? just doesn't seem to be adapting well, do you adopt them out as pets or what happens? It's illegal to keep native wildlife unless you have a permit to do like an education program or, or you know, like the KBCC, the bird breeding programs. So the only options are if they meet the specifics of being qualified for captive display. Uh, so they have to be the right species that can handle being in activity their type of injury has to be something that's not going to cause them additional pain over time. But if they come in and they're so badly injured that they're not going to survive, then our job is to make sure that they don't suffer long. And so then we do a euthanasia procedure with our medical staff to make sure that it's quick and painless. So they are evaluated for being treatable and not allowed to suffer any longer than necessary. How many staff do you have here at the Hawaii Wildlife Center? And I guess not just staff, it looked like you had some volunteers and such also. Yeah, we have an incredibly small staff for all that we do. We have a staff of five, three of us are in operations. That's myself as the director, our development coordinator and our administrative manager running all of the center works. We have two running the wildlife hospital and that's seven days a week. And so they overlap only three days, and so there'll be one main person. So we rely a large part on interns, which you got to see that we have a, uh, we've had multiple interns come through our programs here and have been huge helps. We also have regular volunteers that help us maintain the facility and also help us maintain the hospital. We have volunteer programs to help us drive birds to and from the airports and that's our Wheels for Wildlife program. And we also have volunteer pilots that help us transport birds between islands 
that are critical in addition to the commercial airlines. So we have a huge uh, need in volunteer core. We call it our Ohana, all of our team here. And if you're interested, there is a link on our website to download the volunteer application, and we'd love to have as much help as possible. Education and outreach, tell us about that. I mean, if people come up here to the Hawaii Wildlife Center, what can they see and what else do you do in the community? We feel that because of the work we do, we have an obligation to share it with the community because it's the community that's making this happen through donations and volunteering, and we wouldn't be here without that support. But we also want to help people learn about our native wildlife and why it's so important to protect this biodiversity. So we have a Science and Discovery Center that's here, that it's open to the public, it's free, it's Tuesday through Saturdays from 9 to 3, We have a retail store that you saw that everything in it is about native Hawaiian species. It's beautiful works of art from a lot of local artists as well. And all of those net proceeds support our hospital. So come up and do that. Great for gifts as well. You also get a chance to see our wildlife patients on camera. You can't go through the hospital because we are minimizing that stress. But we do have live of our patients and you can hear and see and learn about what's going on here and so come by and see us it's easy to get to easy to find directions are on our website as well as good signage on the road for education programs in addition to the public coming as visitors we also get requests from school groups and senior groups and community groups so we've had from preschool to senior citizens here requesting to come, uh, get a presentation in our education pavilion, having our wildlife staff talk about who's in care and why. We'll do educational activities like build a ua'u hat or build a bird or dissect a Hawaiian owl pellet. Um, School groups will come with a theme that they want to do. We have a school group coming that are learning to write and they want to write advocacy letters to support wildlife conservation. We've had groups that want to study the bird of prey and dissect those owl pellets and find out what they eat. Uh, We have STEM programs where we actually did go out to the STEM program and bring our staff and we do our booths at many of the events both on Big Island and also on Oahu so that we can make sure we touch as many people as possible and share what we do. Okay, final question, funding. Where did the money come from to build this facility and how much did it cost? And then how do you get your ongoing funding to run what is obviously, has to be a pricey operation because you've got really first class facilities here. You know, that's a good question. The majority of our funding comes from individual donations and also from foundations that provide grants. But the majority, vast majority is individual donations. So we depend on the public to donate to us. We also do get some funding from our services. So if we go out and teach oil spill response to fish and wildlife staff on Oahu or in Guam or America, Samoa, they will hire us to do that oil spill response. They'll hire us to go and do that. So we do get some money from our services. We also get support agreements from companies that like to give back to the community. They want to make sure we're like an emergency room. You hope you never need us, but if you do, you want to make sure we're here for you. So if if they find that they have a footprint in the environment and that may impact wildlife, they want to know we're here for them. And so they'll support us to keep our doors open and care for any birds or bats that are are come in contact. And also take, you know, any birds or bats we care for and get out have net benefit to the population. So we do rely heavily on the public and hope the public will continue to support us. It is 
expensive to run a hospital, uh, keep the building maintained, uh, cover our minimal staff coverage and the veterinary needs, the x-rays, and the transport costs too. So we do have quite a bit to cover. What's your annual budget? Our annual budget is about a half million. Do you get any state, county, federal funding? We don't currently get any. We're working with the state legislature because we are the only emergency response center. We're written into the state's emergency response plan. So we're currently working with the legislative process to get some portion of our, our annual budget covered by those emergency response funds. So fingers crossed that's going to happen in the next year or two. Linda Elliott, we are at the end of our time together. What else do you want to add before we say aloha? Oh, it's been so great to talk with you. And the main thing is I'm just excited to, because not everybody knows about us. Our grand opening was in November 2011, and now it's eight years later. And we're excited about what comes in the next eight years. We want everybody to come and visit us, know more about us. Look at our website, hawaiiwildlifecenter.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So do follow us. Um, sign up for our, our newsletter. It comes out once a month, and it features one of our animals. So lots to learn, and we hope that everybody will come and learn more about us. Linda Elliott, thank you so much. Aloha. Aloha. And with that, a gigantic thank you to you, our listeners. Remember, you may hear Island Conversations as a podcast anywhere you get podcasts, and it'll automatically download to your phone. Just look for Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. That's who I am. And today we talked with Linda Elliott of the Hawaii Wildlife Center in Kapa'au. Learn more about them at hawaiiwildlifecenter.org. And note your calendar, the Hawaii Island Festival of Birds comes up October 15 through 19, 2020. This year, the headquarters is at King Kamehameha Kona Beach Hotel. Find out more about the Hawaii Island Festival of Birds online at birdfesthawaii.org. Be sure to check our podcast for additional bonus island conversations that have not aired on the radio. Until next time and another island conversations, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.